Welcome in AWA Unleashed. We are the, you know it, preeminent self-proclaimed podcast dedicated to the American Wrestling Association and everything surrounding the American Wrestling Association. We thank you guys for making this a part of your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, your Friday, whatever day you're watching or listening. I want to thank you because there are a lot of podcasts out there and we're starting to get a little busy in the holidays. Thank you guys for taking, you know, this time out to, to spend it with us and reminisce about what I feel is the best territory that ever existed. I'm a little partial, but hey, hey, ball don't lie. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Mick Karch because Mick, this is, I, I'm so thrilled about this project. We've been doing it for not even a year. And I love the attention and maybe the resurgence that we've been able to uh, to give the American Wrestling Association. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You know, not only our podcast, but carrying over to the AWA Unleashed fans page. Mm -hmm. uh, the response has been great. And I think you said it, you said it perfectly. The resurgence. Um, we want to educate people who weren't there at the time. And we want to bring back the memories to those who were there at the time. And uh, this is a great way to do it. And I just want to say something about our uh, our top 10, our Mount Rushmore times two and a half, three and yeah, a half. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was my fault for saying Mount Rushmore. You're like, dude, Mount Rushmore is only four. I'm like, but I wanted 10. I still put Mount Rushmore because I can't count. It doesn't make any difference, Chris. It's wrestling. It's, it it's doesn't wrestling have to make time. It's like a you know, 50-minute, 60-minute Broadway, <laughs> 10 Mount Rushmore's for it. It doesn't matter. But uh, it, it was really interesting to see the response that I got after the YouTube broadcast went up with people. And people generally said, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. That's a pretty good uh, a pretty good example of, of the top 10. The, the guys really should be um, recognized as the greatest personalities in AWA history. There were a few here and there, you know, where people would say, well, what about, the, you know, this guy or that guy? Sure. But for the most part, they uh, you did a nice job, folks. It was I, I really enjoyed the episode. Well, there was a top 10 there, but we've got a, num a new number one in our hearts, and that is Polish uh, Joe. Uh, See, you knew I was waiting to bring you in, Joe. I, I didn't, no interference. I gave you the link this week. And you're uh, you're here. So well, well, you may have been waiting, but Mick was afraid that I was going to be coming back. But <laughs> you, you, Karch. No, I, it, listen, I was not afraid that you were going to come back. It's kind of like a returning boil or a cold sore. You know, somewhere along the line, you know, it's going to heal and you just got to wait mm -hmm. until the next time, you know. When so now a boil or a cold sore, I guess on the bright side, I'm not a hemorrhoid. So um, Well, we've had a few of those. Well, you know, that that, that, isn't, that isn't that what Bobby Heenan called people, the hemorrhoids? No, no, the humanoid. You're close. It was an oh. oil. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we've got, guys, we've got, you talk about wanting to go back and uh, pay homage to the AWA and maybe tell some of the stories that, haven't been told or maybe some of the individuals that have the really good stuff i feel that today it took some time but we've got someone that i feel is going to be 
just hearing you guys talk before we got going, I'm really excited because I think this is going to be one of my favorites again in terms of stories, right? This is what this podcast is about. It's about memories. It's about stories. It's about things that we remember and how we remember them because that's part of telling the story. And part of that as well, guys, is it's very conversational. That's the goal with this is to be very conversational. Uh, again, our, our guest coming up, I don't want to spoil it. I'm trying to like, you know, just kind of build the anticipation. But I mean, I, I feel Joe and, and Mick, the first time that you guys did it, you know, together last week, I felt it was very conversational between you two. It's, you know, it's to be expected. You know, Joe and I go back a long, long time. And, you know, we we're, we're just two two guys, three guys talking about wrestling. That's all this is. You know, if we can inform you, entertain you a little bit, uh, maybe tell you something you didn't know, give our perspectives, that's all it is. We're BSing about the, the good old days in pro wrestling, so it's easy to be conversational. And, Mick, I think you hit it right on the head that, first and foremost, uh, taking away our involvement, uh, close involvement with the AWA, we're fans first. Um, I grew up watching it, and uh, I I will say that this is now my third podcast on AWA Unleashed, and um, sounds like that could be extended for quite a bit until I get kicked out of here. But I will- Or you get paid, which- Well, that that too. Um, But one thing I will not claim, I am not an authority on the AWA. I worked for the AWA from 85 to 91. I've been a fan since before I can remember. I remember my first main event was Crusher and Mad Dog in a steel cage at the old St. Paul Auditorium. Um, I was four or five years old when when, when that match happened. Um, Maybe I should expand it to four to six to make sure that I at least get close to getting it right. My point is, from everything from from my earliest memory up to October 7th of 1985, I was a fan and I've got memories. Um, And I'll I'll say for the large part, they're probably 95% factual and I might miss out on the 5%, Um, but you get the gist of it. I'm here to entertain, I'm here to share my thoughts of the AWA growing up and uh, during my time when I was the producer of the AWA from 85 to 91, mm-hmm. uh, and then again from 2000 through 2003 to the eventual sale. So I'm not an authority um, outside of my experiences, direct experiences behind the scenes of the AWA. I'm here to have fun. So with that, Chris, damn it, let's have some fun. All right, let, let's let's do it. Um... Without any further ado, Mick, I, I know that our guest has been waiting. I'm going to let you introduce him. I'm going to step out for a bit, and uh, I'll be back as we get this thing kicked off. But uh, Mick Karch, good sir, the floor is yours. You know, you you talk about how many years go by so quickly, and as we booked this guest for the show, it occurred to me that I've known the man for 50 years I mean, 50 years, which is amazing because he and I are both 52 years old. So so we have uh, known each other basically, you know, right out of the crib. 
But uh, back in those glorious AWA days, uh, back in the early 1970s, those two out of three fall matches on television with the jobbers slash enhancement talent slash carpenters of the business, um, the guys that would get into the ring and build up the stars. That was their job. And going back, as I said, to the early 70s, one of the greatest years in AWA wrestling, one of those guys uh, is a longtime friend. Let's bring him in, Mr. Bill Crouch. There he is, Bill the Bruiser, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, stop talking. I'm reading the ticker about the pizza down at the bottom of the screen. Uh, you guys delivering or what? <laughs> You know, nothing. Nick I, will. I, I, you, you, you used to do that at the Calhoun Beach Hotel, too, Bill. You know, just yeah. you got into the ring, order, a, you know, half sausage, half pepperoni, and uh, then you went in the ring and, you know, crapped all over the mat. You know, so oh. nothing's new. <laughs> hey, I'll get you for that. <laughs> you know, Mick, we, we, we've been doing this podcast. He is the first one that has acknowledged the scroll. You yeah. have not acknowledged the scroll once. He, Me? I mean, it's the first. Yeah, Bill did it. Like he just, he just. His first lines were about the scroll. It's been forty-five. You haven't done a thing. You know why? That is, why? No, because Bill is under the impression that he's going to get paid for the podcast. Oh no! I already did. I got bitcoins from you, <laughs> and they are worth a lot, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are, Vern. But <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, and I can call me Vern. No, 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 not enough liver spots. But anyway, uh, we have so much to talk about. Yes. And, and again, going back to arguably, if you look over the, the roster of the AWA over the years and, and what a promotion it was, when you got into the business, man, you were in some good company. So uh, we got a lot of questions for you. And I think, Chris, we're going to kick it off with you. Yeah, I, I just want to ask you, Bill, you know, just kind of starting at the the uh, genesis of it, like what was your background before getting into the business? Like what was life like for you growing up? Well, let's see. When I was younger and watching as a fan, I started in Omaha. That's where we were. And uh, that was back in the 63, 62 and uh, my father had passed away, so my uh, my mother decided to move up to Wisconsin to be next to her sister. So I get moved to Wisconsin. Oh, look at that. AWA is still here. Yay. So I kept watching, <clears throat> and I went through high school doing amateur wrestling, which Vern liked, you know, and... Uh, I just, you know, one day decided to do something with my life besides sit around, watch Packer games, drink beer, eat potato chips with onion dip and uh, bratwurst. <laughs> so how did you how did you get interested in pro wrestling then? Was there something like on TV that caught your attention? No, I think I annoyed uh, Wally with letters and phone calls. And Bill Casisto. <laughs> Bill Casisto, God love him. Yeah, if you remember him. Oh, sure. <clears throat> I remember both him and George Gadaski going, why do you want to get in this business? Because I do. <laughs> why does anybody want to do anything? Because they want to. Yeah. 
did you have did, did you have any formal training before you entered uh, Vern's camp? Because I know that's kind of oh, a, yeah. a lot of what we want to focus on here. Oh yeah, that was uh, while I was going to school in Milwaukee. Uh, my brother, my future brother-in-law, was taking pictures <clears throat> down in South Milwaukee at one of these gyms in the uh, Puerto Rican section of town. And we went down there and trained. It was nice because it was a boxing ring and it didn't bounce at all. So you got used to falling on your head and wondering why it hurt so much. <clears throat> and uh, while my brother-in-law, future brother-in-law, was taking pictures, uh, we had at the gym Rod Rodriguez, if you remember him. Absolutely, sure. Yeah. And then you had uh, Cesar Pabon. And a bunch of the other guys that were from there. And those guys would get called by Wally to go up and do TV every now and again. <clears throat> well, I worked my way into that, so I got to ride up there. I'd already been down once to, uh, I took uh, I took the big K down to Indianapolis from Milwaukee and uh, for a show. And uh, that was interesting. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, it's been so long. But uh, I met Bruiser and Snyder and Paul Christie and Prince Pullins and a bunch oh, of guys. Man, God. And um, I had to borrow Pullins' shoes because I didn't have any. You know, I would have had to wrestle barefoot. That didn't uh, that didn't throw me with the idea, but. You know, so I met all those guys and then like two weeks later, oh, I'm going on a trip up to Minneapolis to do TV up there. And Vern had never seen me before. So Vern's looking around. He sees me. Wilbur's there. They brought him in for a house show, you know, and, and TV. So I worked with Wilbur on TV in, in Minneapolis, just like I'd done in uh Indianapolis and uh, uh, Vern had gone over and sort of whispered in his ear, who's this guy? Can he work? Wilbur says, yeah, he's okay. Leave him alone. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Not many guys could get away with telling Vern, leave him alone. Well, Wilbur could. Yeah. I bet, I imagine Bruiser could too, yeah. you know. But, did, you, uh, did just out of curiosity, did uh, Wilbur go over with the abdominal stretch? I think so. Okay, I, I, yeah. I would imagine so. That might explain why it still hurts. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> among many other things. Yeah, well, we, you know, then I had a house show that night, also, down in Indianapolis. So what had happened with that? I was a chunky little guy at 285 pounds then. And some guy from the audience, I was working with Art Thomas. And some guy some guy from the audience hollers about me being fat. And I said, well, at least I wasn't stupid enough to pay $3 for ringside. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, I love it. I some, love of, it. some of the things we've done... Me and Jimmy Dalton and and, and Norvell Austin and those those characters we had uh, we've had good times and bad times you know 
it's well, like any business. It, it, it's the business. And, and I want to uh, fast forward a little bit to um, Burns training camp. Yeah. And I mentioned before we got on the air to, uh, to Joe and Chris, I remember the WCCO TV up here in Minneapolis did a little, uh, a little about 10 minute segment on Vern's training camp. And there's Bill Crouch right in the middle of things. Uh, Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson. Yeah. I mean, if you could have two guys train you and groom you into the professional wrestling business, my God, could it get any better than that? Talk a little bit, not only about Vern and Billy, but about those uh, training camp days. Well, let's see. Let me see if I can remember who all was in it. Pershman was there. Bob Remus was there. Chris Taylor. Me. I think that's it. Okay. I'm not sure. And, you know, they started out by seeing if we could do squats forever. <laughs> uh, there's and, big Chris. There's Chris. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we do, we learn how to do crisscrosses in the ring and um, guys like Persman could do a kip up. I couldn't. It was just like watching a, a large fish flop. You know, here, grab my arm and just let me flop. You know. <laughs> oh my God! There, there, there he is. There's Paul early on. Eventually, yeah, was, that was back when he was 217 pounds. Oh yeah. Well, he maintained that weight throughout his career. You know. I mean. Oh yeah. According to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that. You know, you talked a little bit about Vern and Billy and, and so on and so forth, and we have heard so many people, Bill, talk about how grueling the brutality of Vern Gagne's training camp and how dozens of guys would come out the first day. There's Billy Robinson, the late, great Billy Robinson. And then that number was whittled down real, real quickly, uh, just doing the squats, etc. Take us through a typical day. Well, it was the time afterwards spent at the Sport and Health Club sitting in the hot tub trying to recuperate. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we get out there and I forget, probably about 10 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, we jog on the back roads out at Vern's Farm and we'd work in the ring and do squats and push-ups and crisscrosses and learn holds and Robinson is go well here we're going to do this one now all right now for training purposes only we're not going to put any real you know strength into the uh, holds every one of the damn holds they could have hurt you badly with if they would have put the the muscle behind it see that's what the, the ring the people outside in in the, in the seats don't understand they don't understand that all those holds are related to wrestling jujitsu judo not so much karate because that's mostly thrusting but i've never taken a karate course so what do i know and um all, all you had to do was put on a little more pressure in a certain place and all of a sudden that guy that's telling you how fake it is, is, is going backwards. Sure. Of course. <laughs> so, so the whole thought of that was when they, we, they would do the class or the camp that if these are people that tried to push their way into the business, 
Of course, Robinson and Gagne would try to, you know, force them out. That's assuming they didn't want to keep them. Now, my group, you know, which is Taylor, who was an Olympic Greco-Roman wrestler, and Bob Remus, I don't know what his background was before that. And Pershman, I don't know what his background was. But we all wanted to be there. We all put up with it. There's well, that's, that's a good picture of Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter in his early days when he was Mickey Mouse's right-hand man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, Mighty Mouse, not Mickey Mouse. Mighty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Close. Close enough. Hey, yeah. Bill, I, uh, so I'm oh, sorry to interrupt, Mick. Do you have something? Oh, oh. Uh, I remember the piece that we're referring to. It was a more on Sunday piece. And I used it, I believe, when I did a uh, the pay-per-view special on Vern in the early 2000s. But of all of those names, I mean, now they're legendary. You know, Slaughter and Chris Taylor and, and Paul Pershman slash Playboy Buddy Rose. During that time when you were in camp, did you have a feeling that one or I should let me rephrase it. Who did you feel was, were destined for stardom from that camp? Did you know it at the time? I never thought that far ahead. Looking no. back on it now, I mean, did, you know, was somebody better than somebody else in that camp if you could go retrospectively? Well, I know one thing for sure. What part of the thing when we were out jogging on the back trails? They tell you to pick up your partner and do a fireman's carry and then, you know, run down the trail with him on your back. Well, nobody volunteered to pick up Chris Taylor for some reason. Yeah, I don't know what that would be, but no, very understandable. I, I got I got Remus and I'm carrying him on my I'm across my shoulders. I'm like, God, <laughs> this hurts. <laughs> So, uh, and Chris would have been a hundred plus pounds more than Bob at the time. Uh, Chris, oh gosh, I don't know what his weight was, but uh, he was a nice guy, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, had a, we had yeah. a nice group of guys, and everybody found their little niche in the business. And I didn't, and in 1980, my son was born, and I quit the business because I wanted to be home and do home things instead of be on the road and never see him grow up. Oh, we are going to, we're going to talk about that in, in uh, detail, believe me, because, uh, you know, I, I uh, mentioned to Joe and Chris before we got on the air that of the AWA guys back then, and particularly that training camp. And again, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Your tenure, not only in the AWA, but in wrestling itself, was relatively short. So I, I definitely want to want to talk to you about that. I want to backtrack a little bit. So much has been written and said about Vern Gagne over the years. And, you know, if you had a personal interaction with him um, at a function, at a governor's ball or something, uh, you got one Vern Gagne. If you, uh, you know, happened to piss him off somewhere along the line, you got another Vern Gagne. Talk about your personal interaction with him. Um, it was uh, friendly. It was helpful. You know, he'd correct you 
if your uh, holes weren't right or there was too much distance between the holes so people at ringside could see them. You know how that is. Oh, there's that pizza thing again. You have to check out the 7th Avenue Pizza. It's the highest quality, the best tasting frozen pizza. Oh, frozen pizza. Piece of cardboard with a red stain. Oh, some... Now he's burying it. Now he's oh, burying it. the sponsor. <laughs> well, I don't run the show, so. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I won't be called up to be on it again if I do any more. No, it's just. Fine. It's a running gag, and of course, it's got sliced garden hose on it. Oh dear God! <laughs> so back to Vern Ganya. Speaking of yeah, sliced um, garden hose, but Vern and Vern and I got along real well. I did piss off Wally one time in Duluth, but I was working with Chris Taylor, and I decided to take a chair in the ring, and uh, Wally screaming at me in the in the dressing room telling me that if Vern would have seen that, it would have fired me right away. And I said, okay, I won't do it again. And I was thinking, well, if he was going to fire me right away, who's going to drive the truck back? <laughs> Always an angle. You, oh, yeah, there is. You Always. Were, you that was one of... And all the guys. Um, just a couple of more questions about Vern. Um the guys that broke in and you know over a long-term basis, and I know Ric Flair had an issue with this in 1991 or 1990. He came in for a house show in, in uh, St. Paul, and there was that issue of the contractual agreement with Vern Gagne to give Vern a percentage uh, of the wrestlers' earnings as they progressed in their career. Did you have that type of arrangement with Vern? And if not, then was it basically... You know, I just show up, I get paid, I go home and go on to the next town. That's the way I did it. I, I didn't hear about a, a contract until uh, till I left for Charlotte. Okay. And, and then later on, uh, the next group of guys went through and um, one of them, uh, let's see, him and his brother, uh, Scott Irwin. Okay, Bill, yeah, Bill Irwin and Scott Irwin. Yeah, it was Scott who who showed it to me first. I actually got to see it. I know Vern asked me about it. You know, would you be willing to, you know, go under contract and pay me 10% of your earnings? I said, gee, that's going to be a lot of money for you if I'm only making 300 a week. Wow, $30. <laughs> hey, Vern, right. I would have assumed Vern would have jumped at it. <laughs> He probably would have, but I said, no, not at this point. That's probably why he never sent me to Japan. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, yeah. I've, I've always been uh, like that, where I don't like to be have a feeling that I'm being forced into something. Right. And, yeah. then, and that, that was it. That was a, a force thing, and I could understand why he did that. And then if you did go in with that contract, I'm sure that I would have made a lot more money gotcha. because then he would have made more money. Sure. Yeah. And makes sense. I don't know if he did that with Chris and Bob and Paul. I have no idea. You know, it's one of well, those things. I, I know he did it with Paul uh, because Paul went down to Texas 
And I remember getting a, a phone call from him saying that Vern was pissed at him because uh, Vern wanted to remind him and place the call to Paul down in Texas. Remain, don't forget your the 10% you owe me. And Ray Stevens, I guess, basically told Paul, you tell Vern, bullshit, you're not booking me anymore. I'm not giving you your 10%. So, uh, and that kind of effectively uh, kept Paul out of the AWA until about 1986 or so. Mm. So, so there you go. Chris, I know you, you had a question about the transition. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, there are, are, you know, fans that know you as Butch Malone. So when did the transformation of the change from Bill Crouch to Butch Malone happen? Um, I got to Charlotte, working as under my real name, went to Georgia to work for Barnett, and uh, they wanted to know if I wanted to change my name. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, why? What's wrong with the one I got? Well, you know, it's like Hollywood. You can't draw any money if your name is Sybil... Uh, Kazanowski. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nowadays they don't care, but back in those days of Hollywood, they did care. And everybody that had odd names, ah, look at them, look at them. Yeah. Yeah. You Is must that what they call the uh, the 1970s porn star mustache Bill <laughs> right there. Hey, I got careful blood. on that, Mick. I recall you having something. Hey, 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 hey. I've got black socks down at the bottom there. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Nick so, knows the reference. <laughs> what, what year would this have been, Bill? What's that? This this photograph. Oh, that was the uh, early 70s. Okay. Yeah, I was already out of I was out of Minneapolis already. You are you're looking kind of svelte there, buddy. You're looking uh, you know, svelte? like 60 minute Broadway's pretty much every night. Oh yeah. The only, <laughs> uh, let me tell you a story about a 60-minute Broadway. Absolutely. Not, not so much me, but uh, it was, uh, I was refereeing in Mitchell, South Dakota. Now, come to think of it, I did the same thing in in uh, Charlotte. So it was the Charlotte one. Mitchell, I had another good, funny to tell. Sure. But Charlotte, Charlotte, and it's Jack Briscoe and Wahoo McDaniel. And, you know, Wahoo is wrestling for the championship. And <laughs> Wahoo runs out of steam about 20 minutes in. Oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, Jack said something about, well, his pills must have worn off. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, okay. did you ever... Ever hear that story about Wahoo shooting Dick Slater in the leg in, in Atlanta? Uh, I did not. Please share that story. They were out at a bar after the matches. And Slater was there and Wahoo was there and some other guys. And I just heard this, you know, third hand. So, you know, because Barnett had come in and said, you know, Slater's not going to be with us for a few weeks because he got he got hurt. But nobody knew what hurt meant. <laughs> so later on, I heard the story that uh, there was a, a battle that went from the bar out to the parking lot. And 
I think it was this guy and Slater that were fighting. And Wahoo got into it. And Wahoo had his pistol with him. So Wahoo is going to slow this guy down by pistol whipping this guy alongside the head. So Slater was behind the guy. Wahoo hits the guy in the head with the pistol. The pistol goes off, shoots Slater in the leg. <laughs> That's the way I heard it. I don't know if there's any truth to it, but it's a good story. Bill, I don't one second of that story, knowing Wahoo and, uh, we say, the fun that he liked to have uh, back in the day. Um let me ask you, I mean, wrestling in those days was certainly different. Fans believed um, kayfabe was a part of the business, a large part of the difference. Um, you've wrestled all over the country. Was there a difference from the northern fans to the southern fans, the way that they interacted uh, with you during a match? And did you ever personally experience uh, any violence? I mean, I know Bobby Heenan got shot. I mean, there, there was a, because kayfabe was alive and people believed, um, sort of created some issues. Did you ever experience anything like that? Um, not in the Northern states. Of course, I wasn't working angles that would do that. We were, you know, underneath. So you go out and you do your thing, you get a little heat, and you'd have to really piss somebody off up north. You go down south, and if you get any interviews, you call them all rednecks, and, you know, <laughs> the only the only good thing about this state is everybody's related. <laughs> and and the, uh, the people down south, of course, um, they drink more, it seemed, than the people up north. Or maybe the people up north are used to it. I don't know. And the cold weather might, you know, lower their intensity of emotions. I'm I'm not sure. I don't know why. But it seemed like you were in more danger down south than you would have been up north. There was, uh, let's see, Georgia was real good for people that got mad. We did a show where Jimmy Dalton and I were, we we actually went over on Atlanta TV wearing the masks and uh, went down to this place down in southern Georgia working against uh, Tim Woods and Johnny Walker. And uh, Ole had told Jim, you know, call your own finish, make it a hot one. Oh, yeah, it was a hot one, all right. We had to be escorted out of town by the police department. <laughs> oh, they were mad. Oh, they were mad. <laughs> you, you you did your job well, pal. Yeah. 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 yeah, what you do is you let the baby faces have three quarters of the match, and then right at the end you screw them. And next thing you know, you've got 87 people that have been drinking heavily and throwing stuff at the ring. It's probably like the Boston Gardens, I heard, oh, I'm you know, sure. where they had to have a net over the top of the ring because people were throwing beer bottles at, into it. <laughs> so the bottles would break on the on the fishnet 
you know, and then the pieces would fall onto the ring. So anyway, the, there there was there was a match that we Jimmy and I had already done our part in uh, Carrollton, Georgia, and um, let's see, Ole was on in the main event, and. You know, Jimmy and I had already showered and changed, and we're standing out there by the dressing room door uh, watching the matches. And this guy comes up. He's three seats to the wind already, and he's insulting Ole, and he's got a, a family member or just a friend or whatever trying to pull him away, right? Now, this little dressing room isn't much for size. It's got a stand-up walk-in shower. It's got a water heater in it, about four chairs folding and uh this guy just keeps aggravating Ole, and Ole keeps telling him you know go away you know so the next thing you know this kid decides to push his way into the dressing room and Ole, you know we're blocking him and Ole says let him come in oh, <laughs> oh. You know, i guess we hadn't taken our showers yet we were just watching the matches because i went in there I don't know. Maybe I did take a shower earlier. And I look in the shower and I see a couple of teeth on the shower, bottom of the shower. And of course, the guy had been thrown out by Ole. And then the cops come over and Ole says, You know, I'm just here. And the guy pushed his way in to the dressing room and Ole closed the door and locked it. You know, and you hear this wham, bam, thump. <laughs> And the cop comes over because that kid's friend could come over and, um, you know, said what's going on. And Ole explained it to him. And we, we backed him up and that we didn't tell any lies. That's exactly what happened. Yep. That kid, that kid got his bell rung and lost a couple of teeth. Well, you know, knowing Ole, you know, back then and now, I'm sure Ole did it with a smile. And I, oh, yeah. you know, I don't know if Ole smiled uh, in his entire life, but oh, the good old days of, of fan violence. You know, <laughs> who would ever thought those were the good old days? All right, we're we're gonna do something here, Bill. I think this is this is gonna be great because uh, we're gonna put some pictures up and oh, no. uh, of your of your uh, cohorts, your your brethren, whoever uh, you know from back in the day, and just one or two lines, you know, just kind of uh, remembering a little name association. And here all I wanted was minions. Well, sorry, pal. There, let's start with the scrap. Iron. <laughs> George. Bill, why do you want to be in the business? Because I want to, George. But <laughs> what one of the nicest guys ever. I swear he must have tried talking everybody out of joining the business. You know, you want to be a gibberoni? Uh, I don't know. What is that? There we go. Well, we're moving on. There, there is a young um, Don Morocco. Back when he was heavier. I occasionally oh send uh, messages to Don over in Hawaii. He's, I think he's bigger than that now. Oh, he's massive. Yeah, I've seen some pictures. Uh, that damn, those damn pineapples. <laughs> <laughs> They're injecting fat into him now. Oh, yeah. Oh, now there's a guy. Bobby? Bobby Heenan. 
Oh, he could tell some funny stories. He was telling me one time that uh, he was out long uh, ringside. I think he was managing the Blackjacks at the time. And this guy comes up and they both, he starts insulting Bobby and Bobby's basically blowing him off. So the guy and Bobby both throw a punch at the same time and they hit each other's fists with the punch. Oh dear. So the next thing that happens, this is Bobby telling the story. So it could have been embellished a bit. So then Bobby said, then he, uh, we both tried to kick each other at the same time and ended up kicking each other in the shins. And finally, the police grabbed him and pulled him away. But most of the time, I didn't get to hear those because I was never, you know, on the same circuit as they were. Gotcha. But Bobby was a funny guy. There's another guy right there. Yeah. Uh, by way of Albuquerque, by way of Laredo, by way of Minneapolis, Blackjack Lanza. He never went to Bug Tussle, Oklahoma, huh? I don't believe so. You know, he, he might have might have flyover. I don't buy I don't buy I don't really fault him for not going there. I've been there. I spent a, I spent a week there one day. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, he'll be here all week. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens, in my estimation, Bill, the greatest tag team of all time outside of, you know, when you were in the business, of course, you know, when you were teaming with guys. But talk a little bit about Nick and Ray. Well, Nick, Nick and Ray would help you with anything. As long as you were one of the wrestlers, if you were one of the crowd, no. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the fun thing about watching Nick was everybody else that did interviews would scream and holler and stand on their tippy toes when they're trying to make a point and, you know, point at the camera. Nick never did that. He was very low-keyed, eloquent, and insulted the people above their mentality, it seemed. And I, I miss the guy dearly. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't seen him or Ray, and I know Ray died, you know, at home because I heard the story. Yeah. And let's see. <laughs> there, there, there's a, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of guys, uh, the, the Texas Outlaws, Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes. And, and Dusty is what Ric Flair wanted to be. That's basically what he ended up is. He's just thinner. But uh, yeah, yeah, those two are fun to work with too. They uh, they closed down a couple of bars in Minneapolis and St. Paul early. Uh, yeah, early. Uh, you know, closing time I believe it was one o'clock back in the day. They shut them down about nine nine p.m. Uh, there's the guy you were talking about, Wahoo McDaniel. You know, yeah. precursor to Dick Cheney, uh, firing at pretty much anything that moved. Uh, Wahoo, what a what a legitimate tough guy, but what a superstar. You know, I never looked at Wahoo as a tough guy because I never had to get him mad. I, I was refereeing a match between, no, it wasn't him. It was, uh, well, we're talking about Wahoo. But I, I never saw him mad. Wow. Uh, he might have been in the ring a couple of times, but you couldn't tell it even when you're refereeing. But you could feel the chops. It was like working with Valentine. 
Johnny Valentine was the stiffest guy I almost worked with. Almost. I did work I did work with him, but he wasn't the stiffest. Neither was he. He just didn't know his own strength. How many times did you work, Andre? Um, I think I had him once on TV. That was it. Yeah, Vern didn't spend any time trying to kill me off with his his big his tough guys, you know. That's uh, that's, that's good. But Andre was uh, was was light with you, huh? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, you in fact, I, yeah. I, I had I had a '68 Camaro in uh, North Carolina at the time, and I brought it down from Minneapolis when we moved, and believe it or not. I took Andre to a, a shot in that car. Now ask me how I managed that. Tell us. Let me get, you had to take the front seat out and he could sit in the back seat. That's right. Oh my. But he had leg room then. <laughs> <laughs> well, so did Fred Flintstone, you know, when he took the, took the bottom out there too, but that's... Yeah. One more. Let, let's take a look at this guy here. Did you ever have the opportunity to work uh, with the dog? Maurice? No, I don't remember working with him. Okay. Well, you're probably better off. Can I ask one one guy, Bill? Um, I, I like to compare him to the Stan Laurel to Oliver Hardy. And Vern would have been Oliver Hardy. And Mr. Wally Carbo would have been Stan Laurel. And I say that because... From what I knew, the boys would always go to Wally because it could get through where Vern was. Well, Vern, but give me your impressions and your interactions with Mr. Wally Carbo. Aside from that one night I pissed him off during yeah, the chair yeah, in the yeah. ring. Yeah. He very, you know, very nice, very businesslike. I wonder if you ever found out that Jeff Ports in uh, Denver forged his signature on a check. Oh, we were in a, we were at the motel. Oh, and um, we were drinking, you know, after the show, and Wally was there. <laughs> Left his checkbook, <laughs> so Jeff Ports grabbed it, and, and you know, there he is. the beer, you know, that we were drinking. <laughs> oh. Man. And, and it looked like a good a good facsimile of Wally's signature. Huh. Oh, boy. Wow. Well, you know, um, Wally had had a reputation. Well, I want to say he was a ladies' man, but but I, I heard that, you know, any old port in the storm. And uh, I, I heard that Wally, uh, Wally made the rounds. God bless him. The Uncle Milty of the AWA. Yes, he was. <laughs> But I, I know you didn't know about that, Bill, because pretty much at the end of a show, you would grab your milk and cookies and go back to the uh, the Marriott. Back, go back home. <laughs> if All I right. was in town, I went back home. <laughs> Bill, we're gonna we're gonna have to take it home here and ring the bell, as they say. But I, I got a, a question for you, my friend. You know, so many times. We look at the roster of the AWA, the guys that are not here anymore, and it, it's really sobering. Um, I, I would say that probably 90 percent 
of the roster from the 1970s is no longer here. You were a part of one of the, as I said at the outset, one of the greatest eras in AWA history. You got Cauliflower Alley Club. You got the, the Hall of Fame in Waterloo. Haven't seen you there. What uh, do, do you have any inclination to go, or, or is you know the business is back then and that's it? Well, I did go up to a couple of them in uh, Seattle with Dean Silverstone. Okay, and only because that was close. I didn't join Cauliflower Alley Club because they wanted money and uh, they wanted me to send it to some place that I wasn't. You know, back in those days, you didn't send money to people that you didn't know. Okay. And, you know, we weren't in the plastic big time like we are now. Sure. So I never joined uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club. And I've never been to any of the uh, reunions. I know somebody, some people have asked me, well, you know, first of all, I get questions about uh, signed autograph pictures and going to the reunions and doing this other stuff. And I said... You know, that's in the past. I don't have any pictures to autograph and, you know, but I'll pay you for them. I said, I don't care. You know, that's that's a back in the old days. Come on. You know, that, if that, I, you know, I wasn't a star except in Tennessee. So, you know, that's really interesting because a lot of the guys, you know, let's say they overstayed their welcome. Or, you know, they think that they can charge $2,500 or $3,000 for an appearance, you know, when they, you know, worked 30, 35 years ago. But uh, I got to tell you, my friend, this is this has been just great. And I wish I could have found it. I, I found a picture of you and I maybe a month ago, misplaced it. We're at the Calvary <laughs> Hotel. And I've got you, you're selling for me, and well, sort of, in a top wrist lock. Uh, out in the lobby of the Calhoun Beach Hotel. And I don't know, you had a jean shirt on or something like that, but you're wearing your glasses. You had the short, the short cropped hair, a little bit of a mustache, and you're putting me over in the lobby of the Calhoun Beach Hotel. And that was the last time I was put over, ever, in life. So I want to I wanna thank you for that, bud. <laughs> well, remember the times we used to sit in the audience at the TV station? That's how we met. That's that's correct. We were sitting next to each other. I was wearing a Western hat. I came up with the guys from Milwaukee. I not to wrestle, just to be there. I know. You and I ended up sitting together. You were trying to figure out if I was going to run in the ring or something. And (laughs) oh, the good old days, man! I'm so glad that we got a chance to do this. You know, and and reconnect. You know, hopefully, we can do it 50 years down the road. You know? Um, don't think that's going to happen. All right. Well, I think 50 years now is pretty good. I would absolutely agree with that. And, you know, Bill, you're an old school guy. I've got nothing but respect for you. We all feel the same way. Uh, you made the guys look good. Uh, some of the guys that, uh, you made look a lot better than they really were. And, uh, I think Carpenter in the business is, is a real good explanation real I, I just carry carry ants that like to eat wood carpenter ants they sing too oh dear <laughs> you know we we always go about a minute too long chris don't we 
What? I'm sorry. What? No. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Bill, love you, buddy. We'll, we'll Facebook. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Take care. All right. See you later. All right. Oh man, that oh, that was yeah. fun. That was fun. You you don't get those perspectives so often, and when you do get somebody like Bill who can tell those stories, I feel like this is where we really have to take advantage of it. So. Uh, I don't know, like those, those opportunities like that, guys, I I feel like you said, Vic, they're kind of few and far between at this point. They really are. I mean, first of all, again, you know, the sad fact is that I've lied, uh, not a lot of the guys are left. Um, beyond that, a guy like Bill Crouch or, you know, recently Tom Rocky Stone, those guys were a big part of what the wrestling business was back in the 70s. The modern-day wrestling fans don't understand it, and that's not a knock on them. It's the way the product is. Everything has to be a main event. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, it was something totally different, and my utmost respect to guys like Bill Crouch, plus the fact that what you see is what you get with Bill. He's just a regular guy. He never took it too seriously. He knew what his role was, and God love him. Great to see him. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's great. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, they were an integral part. Uh, I think the case could be made for back uh, in those days that a wrestling fan would see them on TV more than their favorite star. Yeah, Plus, they were getting a snot kicked out of them every week because it was a squash match, but they were the ones to get the talent over to get the names over in the case you're talking about Andre not surprised that he only wrestled Andre once on TV Andre didn't need to be put over it was a treat a real treat if Andre wrestled on TV it was always paying paying the Mazzotti yep. to go and watch him live he was he was Andre you know yeah, I, and and, and people like that because they work with so many different individuals You've got stories, whereas, you know, if, you, if you're not featured as much, you don't have as much exposure. And I think that's where the stories, you might kind of overlook them at the point, but now you get to this point where you really want to hear the stories. That's where some of the good stuff is really unearthed. You know, I, I, I want to mention something else about Bill Crouch. Bill was of the George Gadaski ilk because he did everything. Uh, he wrestled, he refereed, he took the ring back and forth, set up the ring, tore down the ring. He did everything. And, you know, as Bill kind of alluded to, didn't make a lot of money in the business. That's why Vern didn't get his uh, big percentage. Uh, but Bill, honest to God, he, he busted his ass for the relatively short time he was in the business. And, and hats off to Bill Crouch. Great guy. If I had a hat, I wouldn't join you there, Mike. There we go. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, bring it home with some shout-outs. I think, Joe, you have not had a chance to do this, so uh, we're going to let you go first, and then we'll uh, thank our sponsors, and, and then we'll uh, then we'll bring it home. Sounds good. Uh, I, my first shout-out, I have to stick within my involvement in professional wrestling, and that's on the production side. Um, I was mentored by... Uh, Mike Shields, who hired me, um, Al Darusha to a lesser extent, but nonetheless, Al Darusha. And so uh, I took it on myself to help the next generation. And my shout out goes to 
the M.A.W. producer and all-around production guy, Chavo. The kid loves video production. He dedicates uh, a ton of time, and I'm talking dedicates time that he doesn't get paid for to hone his craft. He is dedicated to video production of M.A.W. and Chavo. Fantastic job. Keep it up. The next generation is in good hands, young man. Got to give a shout out to a young lady who pretty much stole the show at the uh, at the AWA reunion. I think we had to hold her back to keep her from dancing on stage. I'm talking about Lori Bankowski-Smith, the daughter of uh, sodbuster Kenny J and his wife, Diane. I love Lori. She is so great. What a loyal and dedicated listener of the podcast. So, Lori, we'll see you on Facebook here. And uh, I'm going to give mine to uh, to Reggie Harp. Uh, always, you know, I mean, a great, great guy. I think he's in uh, South Carolina right now, but uh, also on Twitter, at Reggie Harp. So, uh, Reggie, uh, this is for you, my friend. And uh, that being said, let's go ahead and thank our sponsors. First of all, you see Soda Stick. Uh, I've got the hat. Mick, you've got some stuff as well. Uh, we've got hoodies, personalized hoodies. If you want, go to sodastickco.com. You get uh, 15% off with the code UNLEASH. They just had a Black Friday deal. I believe it ended last night. You didn't need a code. You can go ahead and try. We got the black and white T-shirts. Uh, great stuff for uh, for Christmas and holidays. Be sure to check that out. And uh, even though Bill didn't like it, I love 7th Avenue Pizza. They've got a brand new breakfast pizza that is the fucking bomb.com. Have you had it? it. I've had it, yes. Okay. I've had it. It's pretty good. Why am I asking you if you if you tried the pizza? My God, that's like asking Haystack Calhoun, did you try the hors d'oeuvres? Hey, body by pizza, baby. Body by 7th Avenue Pizza. You want pizza for breakfast? They came up with it. A breakfast pizza. The 7 a.m. breakfast pizza from 7th Avenue Pizza. Going to put their logo on there. Check it out all around the Twin Cities. Uh, that being said, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, follow us on all of our platforms. YouTube is where you get probably the most bang for your buck because you get to look at all the pictures. And we try and make all, all these visuals to kind of take you back in time. Uh, because picture, what, do I have something on my on my lip there, Mick? Or were you just... I had an itch. Do you mind? Just keep keep talking. Oh, I thought that was like some sort of subliminal thing. You know, kind of like when you have a booger or something. Well, people, oh, yeah. like that. Though. I, 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 yeah. Oh, I got rid of Joe. Oh, there's Joe. There's Joe. All right. Oh, hey, he's, he's still doing it. He, hey, doing it. Be, before we take it home, I, I have a word of advice for everybody out there. All the the single guys. This was a, a message left on my answering machine by Wally Carbo, probably about 40 years ago, came home from work, turned on the answering machine, and there's some guy is saying, when are you going to get away from the business altogether and find yourself a rich gal and get married? So I, I, don't, I don't think that there is any more sage advice. Do you, Chris? <laughs> 